evening. What's your name? Jiva Goswami Das. Have we met before? No, we haven't. Oh, nice to meet you. Welcome. So, do you have a question? No. I, um, someone asked me, um, if I could give any more, um, follow up on a question that uh, Babru asked the other day about, um, Mahaprabhu's statement in Chaitanya Bhagavat that um, he would not eat food in the house of anyone who didn't chant a lack of rounds a day, 64 rounds, and how some devotees emphasize um, this as um, if to say that it's spoken in the Shastra, it's God has said it, and um, therefore it must be done, and if you don't do that, you're not, I guess, following correctly. It'll get done by midnight, you'll turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> Something like that. So, I don't know. I thought about it a little bit, and I just did look it up in the Chaitanya Bhagavat. But, of course, what I said um, earlier holds, and that being to review in brief, that... Um, we see that that policy, if you want to think of it as such, is not one that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu followed. There are a number of examples of his accepting food in the houses of those who were not even Krishna Bhaktas and not chanting the name of Krishna, like the South Indian Brahman who was very absorbed in Ram Leela when he met Mahaprabhu and couldn't, although he had invited Mahaprabhu for lunch, couldn't cook it because Sita had been stolen by Ravana. So in his bhava, internally, um, at the time of lunch, it just happened to take over in this way. And so... I have no idea. So uh, it manifested an inability externally or in the present to uh, prepare the lunch. Mahaprabhu, of course, was very pleased to see the measure of his uh, absorption, his bhava. Mahaprabhu, uh, as you know, uh, he converted a number of people. He converted Venkata Bhatta with his joking at Sri Rangam. He was the head priest of the Sri Rangam temple. He joked about Lakshmi's uh, chastity, brought it into question, given that uh, she desired to... Uh, dance with Krishna, and she's married to Narayan. And of course, the learned Venkata said, oh, no, no, that's not a problem, because Narayan and Krishna are one. Mm-hmm. Mahaprabhu was pleased, and he said, very good, I'm happy to hear your reply. Well, I have another question, if I may. Yes, and what is that? He said, how come she was not able to? And Venkata fainted. Mm-hmm. He more or less said, only one who could ask that kind of question would know the answer. In this way, he, through humor, really, he uh, converted Venkata and his wife and his son, who became the great 
Gopal Bhattavasami, Sri Gopal Bhattavasami, Ki Jai. Um, he converted, of course, Prakashananda, who was a, was a Mayavadi, uh, Sarvabhom Bhattacharya, hmm, monist, uh, Gyani, and so forth. And so there are many conversions. But there are instances in which he didn't push conversion, like with regard to the, the brother of Rupsanata, Anupam. When he heard that Anupam could not give up his Lord Raghunath, although he agreed with Rupa and Sanatan in discussion, that yes, I get your point, and the worship of Radha and Krishna is is obviously, arguably, affords greater intimacy with the Absolute, so they made a pact to worship Radha and Krishna, but he had been a lifelong worshiper of, of Ram. Uh, Ramchandra, and so he couldn't sleep all night. And in the morning, he said, "I I couldn't couldn't give him up. I couldn't do it." It may make sense from the point of view of Tattva. You guys got a good argument, but I cannot change my heart. When Mahabhu heard this, he was very pleased. He didn't try to convert him. He said, "Glorious is that devotee who won't give up his Lord, and glorious is the Lord who won't give up his devotee." Hmm? South Indian Brahman, I'm referring to also as. Um, a nice example. Mahaprabhu didn't try to convert him. He said, no, no, it's all right. He said, um, uh, Ram has actually, uh, Hanuma, uh, excuse me, Ravan is not actually able to capture, he gives Siddhanta, Tattva, capture Sita, who is the internal energy, cannot be overwhelmed by the external energy. Therefore, only a semblance or a shadow of uh, Sita was manifest and he ran off with with that, so to speak. So he was able to bring him down hmm, from his bhava with some siddhanta, some tattva. Hmm. Lunch was cooked. <laughs> and then Mahaprabhu, of course, went on with his travels and he made a point uh, to bring back uh, from the pages of the Kurma Purana scriptural confirmation for this idea of a, of a shadow sita was only taken. And on the way back he gave that to the Brahman to support his his statements. <clears throat> so these are, uh, this is, anyway, this is an instance in where he ate in his house and he wasn't obviously chanting 64 rounds. Mahabhu did not try to convert him from chanting Krishna Nam to from chanting Ram Nam with the Ram Chandra conception of Ram to chanting the Hare Krishna mantra with the Nam Shrestam, the, nah, kind of the, as they use Raghunathas Goswami's term, the highest conception of the name Namashrestamapi Sachiputram Matrasarupam, so forth. He said, I offer my obeisances, Raghunathaska Samatam, my guru, from whom I receive the highest conception of the name given by the son of Sachi. So we have Mahaprabhu is coming with the Yuga Dharma, but he's wrapped it together, as Krishna's Kabiras has poetically said, in a garland with Prem. He gave it to Nityananda Prabhu, who then garlanded the world with that. Hmm? Yuga Dharma Garland with Prem means the special conception behind the names in the Maha Mantra. Paraka Brahmanam, not Taraka Brahmanam, not just a name and a conception that will give mukti, whether it be, uh, even in the case it be devotional forms of mukti, but rather give, they use a Gaudiya term, which is a term, as I've said before, that the Gaudiyas have kind of um, monopolized Every other sampradaya, 
be they a non-Vaishnava or Vaishnava Sampradaya, holds that their goal is mukti, dharmartha, kama, moksha. Those are the four goals. Mahaprabhu has posited a fifth goal. It's so laden with prem. Not that there's not a prem of Vaikuntha or a prem of Ayodhya or even a prem of Dwarka and Mathura, surely there is. And Rupa Goswami makes this point. In Vaidhi Bhakti there's also prem and in Rag Bhakti as well. But the nature of the prem in the in, in the Rag Bhakti of Mahaprabhu, which goes to the center of the lotus of Gokul, that that is of Golok, that is Gokul, hmm? and a particular region within that, as well, hmm? further arguably penetration into that um, uh, center of Golok than even the other Rag Sampradayas like Nimbark Sampradaya on the outer petals with Svakiya and Sakibhav only, with no experience of Vatsalya, Dasya, Sakya, as we experience it in, in, in Gaudiya Sambhadaya, in Madhurya Prem as, as part of the composite of making it all go round and so forth. So, you see, if you could imagine, if you could just take a section of that out and separate it, live eternally in that. Hmm? This is an Embark Sampradaya idea. And of course then the Batsali had another type of Gopi Bhav and another Rag Marg of uh, Pushti Marg of the, uh, the Balabha Sampradaya. But, um, but still they refer to their ideal as, as Mukti. And, and the Gaudias have good reason to refer to their ideal as Panchama Purusharta, Prema Pumarto Mahan, the fifth goal of life, Prem, because the nature of the Prem so developed hmm, in, 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 the, in the Gaudiya conception, um, so that it, that it well, um, that, that it, it wouldn't be right to call it Mukti, hmm, where, because wherein, as Rupa Goswami explains, Hmm. having attained which mukti seems like a foreign thing hmm. undesirable it's 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 insignificant in comparison it means a, a, any form of it and again the prem yes there's prem and ayodhya the prem and Bhakunda and so forth but it's obviously a, a a liberated I'm liberated I have love hmm. there the sense of being liberated is even uh, 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 diminished by the power of the Prem. So anyway, Prem Pumartama, fifth goal of life, right? Mm. How do we get there? The fifth goal of life, Dharma, Kam, Moksha. Um, so he, um, um, at any rate, Mahaprabhu, what um, he is uh, spreading his Prema Dharma, he uh, did convert some persons, but if persons were uh, um, had attained hmm, bhava, hmm, which is the goal of sadhana bhakti, kind of the fruit of sadhana bhakti, bhakti in active external bhakti with the senses is only a, one half of the component of bhakti. Hmm. Uh, Krishnanu shilanam, so shilanam, it has an emotive component as well, component as well. 
And that when that kicks in, then you it's bhakti proper, so to speak. So when he found bhakti proper in someone, and he was very pleased with that. He didn't try to convert them, but he honored that, right? Um, so uh, at any rate, he ate in the Brahmin's house, uh, and he wasn't chanting 64 rounds. And he ate in the Mathura Brahmana's house also when he learned that when he uh, when he intuited hmm, that he must be a follower of Madhavendra Puri. We have something in common. What is it? And then he learned, oh, he's a disciple of Madhavendra Puri. I'm in the same line from Ishwar Puri. Although by Varnashram standards, Mahaprabhu, we should not have eaten in his house, the relative and the absolute, they were at odds with, with one another. So they, they stepped on the head of the relative truth small g good of the Varnashram and um, um, embraced the Absolute and took his lunch in the house of the Mathura Brahman. Uh, those are, are a couple of examples. There are other examples as well. Um, so, uh, uh, Mahaprabhu didn't... He ate, ate in houses where they, where they weren't chanting a full lack. Of rounds a day, and uh, furthermore, um, I think that uh, we mentioned that uh, it's one thing that is said. Perhaps Mahaprabhu said this: we have to look at the context and so forth. Even without looking at the context, which I hadn't didn't remember when I I gave the answer then, we know the context of uh, we we know that uh, chanting, for example, kirtan. Or japa out loud at least is an anga of sabanga of of kirtan. Um, doing silently it is a sabanga of of gyan or excuse me of of dhyan, uh, smaranam. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, we know from the systematic teaching on sadhana about angas of bhakti mm-hmm, from Rupa Goswami. This is the context now. Is how did what are the angas of bhakti? How to execute devotional service systematically? Uh, there we, we should go there to find out de- detail. What are details and what are principles and so forth? So what is the detail that uh, one should do kirtan? Mahaprabhu also said another way kirtaniya sadahari. So always chant. What about that? He said that always chant. If you stop at 64, then <laughs> then what? Hmm? And if you always chant, how can you cook lunch? Oh, it's problems. <laughs> so, so it's good not <laughs> to think a little bit deeply about it. But in Bhaktivedanta Sindhu, we find that kirtan, as I say, is an anga of bhakti, right? Um, so in principle, one should embrace kirtan, and it's the main anga, and so forth. But everywhere that it is emphasized as the main anga, it's the dharma of Kali Yuga, and so on and so forth, there's no prescription in the scriptures as to how many times you should chant, or how many times you shouldn't chant, and so on and so forth, which is, therefore, a detail. And, of course, we see that in this in the Sampradaya, that this detail, uh, this prescribed number will be given here, this prescribed number will be recommended there, and so forth. And, for that matter, also, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Chaitanya Bhagavat was teaching his students specifically about the Maha Mantra and giving it to them, we find this in Chaitanya Bhagavat, 
this mantra you should chant. Uh, he starts to give instructions. This is earlier on in the Madhya Leela of, of, of Chaitanya Bhagavad. He says this, and, and you should chant this um, mantra uh, in a prescribed number of rounds. That's what he says. He doesn't say how many. Hmm? He says you should chant a prescribed number of rounds of the Maha Mantra. Hmm? So the details of that then are left up to um, time, circumstance, um, nature of the audience, and so forth, determinations. Hmm? We also look at this uh, number of prescribed rounds in terms of it being a vow, right? A commitment. Mahaprabhu said you should chant a prescribed number of rounds. So you work that out with the Sri Guru and then that becomes the vow. With regard to vows, hmm, Rupa Goswami explains in Bhaktivasamrita Sindhu that one should not accept a vow that one can't carry out. Hmm? Right? Commenting on this in his Nectar of Devotion, Prabhupada cites the example of chanting 16 rounds. He says, one should not accept a vow, Rupa Goswami says, and he's just commenting on that, that one can't follow because then it's counterproductive, right? So one should be reasonable and, and balanced about it and accept, uh, for example, a certain number of rounds to chant. Therefore, he says, we have asked all of our, or ordered or whatever he said, our students to chant 16 rounds. The implication is that, that he, if you know the history, of course, he worked out a number. He originally told them to chant 64. They couldn't do this. He said 32. They couldn't do that. He said 16. That seemed to work. So that became a one-size-fits-all policy for his disciples, which he had to gravitate towards a one-size-fits-all because he had too many sizes out there. He had too many. The all was too many. Hmm? To you know, have a more classical uh, 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 situation where the guru has a few students and he can uh, cater individually to their particular disposition, psychology, and instruct them accordingly, and so forth. So, the point being is that um, even with regard to the the chanting itself, which Prabhupada gave his 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 uh, 16 rounds. In saying that, he's saying it could be four, it could be two, it could be one. Bhakti Vinod used to say, chant one and start. And then when the taste increases, chant two. And then when it increases, chant three. But don't go backwards. Hmm? Something like that. So we find uh, so many uh, prescriptions, if you will, as to what the prescribed number of rounds may be in, in the Sampradaya. So that is the detail. The principle is another thing. And this we learn from uh, the place where that teaching is given in Bhaktivasamrita Sindhu. And in a, in, a, in a corresponding sense, if you want to look at how many rounds to chant in terms of what Chaitanya Bhagavad says, you want to go to the Madhya where he says, Mahaprabhu says you should chant a prescribed number of rounds. Now, that said, what is the context in which he says, I won't eat in the house of one who's not a Lakeshwar. Lakeshwar. Lak, a lak means... 100,000. Ishwar means the Lord of 100,000. That's what it means. Hmm? Typically, a Lakishwar, if you ask in India, do you know any Lakishwars? Hmm? They're going to point to a very rich man. Hmm? <laughs> hmm? Lak is, uh, you know, 100,000 100, rupees. So 
is that, I don't know what the market is now, you know. Huh? Not very much. But not anymore. But it, uh, but it used to be, you can imagine. So at the time of Mahaprabhu, Alakeshwar, whatever the currency was at the time, was was a, was a very wealthy man. Hmm? So Mahaprabhu was um, instructing some Brahmins, and um, and uh, they wanted to offer him food in their house. And he said, I'm sorry, I do not eat lunch in the house of anyone who's not a Lakeshwar. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> this is the context. And then they said, oh, well, we're very poor. We don't even have, you know, one, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, very much money at all. You know, we're not Lakeshwars. How can we possibly, you know, um, have you in our house? We're very unfortunate. And then Mahaprabhu gave his idea of what it means to be rich. Hmm? Right. So he wanted to teach uh, devotees what it means from his perspective to be wealthy, to be to be rich. Hmm? Hmm? And he said that, that, that however much money you have does not determine your wealth, hmm? but your attachment to the name. Hmm? And that that determines your wealth. So my idea of a Lakishwar is we can chant a Lak, and I will eat lunch in his house. So if you look at the context, he's not instructing everybody should chant a Lak, and if you don't, and you know, don't bother offering me food because I won't eat it or anything like that. He's teaching a lesson, and he uses a term current at the time that had a different meaning to show. Um, another meaning as to what real wealth is, premodhan, right? The wealth of Golok, hmm, that is its prem, and it comes to nam simkirtan. And you can chant one, or a hundred thousand, or a hundred million, and and ultimately the teaching is, is kirtaniya sadahari, right? So, yes? Uh, you had mentioned in this context, just you said it's not in the Shastra. So how are we to look at the presentations of Krishna Das Kaviraj, Vrindavan Das Thakur? Where does Shastra? When we say Shastra, what is our definition? Well, I wouldn't say that. I don't think I said it's not in the Shastra, but it's not. You have to look at. You, we can look at Chaitanya Bhagavat as a Shastra from our perspective. We look at it as the extension of the Srimad Bhagavatam because uh, this, the Bhagavatam is the Leela of Krishna, ultimately, right? This is the centerpiece, right, of the tenth canto, which is larger than any other chapter, and it's what it's all building up to, and when the ten, twelve, and eleven, and twelve are reflecting back on, right? It's the smiling face of Krishna. So, um, uh, and of course, Bhagavad Shravan is, is, is a very powerful anga of bhakti of, among five that Rupa Goswami has underscored, singled out in his explanation of sadhana bhakti of the angas. He says, Nam Kirtan Bhagavat... What is it? Uh, uh, Sadhusanga Nam Kirtan Bhagavat Shravan. So Sadhusanga, this is a powerful anga, from which we get bhakti, right? From which the seed of the rati we will attain comes. Uh, Nam Kirtan, we're talking about. Bhagavat Shravan, hearing the Bhagavatam. Living Maturavas, living in Matura, and worshipping the Murti, the Archan, the deity, deity say. These are very five very powerful angas of bhakti. So Bhagavat Shravan is one of them. And what does Jiva Goswami say? Bhagavat Shravan means hearing the tenth canto. Hmm? Hmm. So 
this is um, the centerpiece, I want to say, of the Bhagavatam, right? And um, and so, if in the center of the centerpiece, we've explained that that the the, the in the tenth canto there are three centers. There's a Vatsalya center, there's a Sakya center, and there's a Madhurya center. The chapters surrounding the Damodar Lila, which are several, is the Vatsalya Bhakti center. The chapters from 12, Brahma Vimohan Lila through 14, and 15, 16, 17, 18, up to the slaying of Pearl and Basur, these are the, the Sakiras, this is the Sakirasa center. Then Ras Panchajai, the five chapters of the Rasa, this is the Madhurya Rasa center. Hmm? And then Madhurya Rasa is the center of those centers, so to speak. Here's the Kishore Krishna now. Fully mature, the excellences of Paganda have stayed with him. Mm-hmm. The excellences of Kumar are also present in the Kishore, and and more. So it's the full, ripened, mature um, Krishna and his romantic life is blossoming, and so on and so forth. Right, um, and within the within the Rasa Panchajai, the five chapters of the, of the Rasa Lila, there's an apex within that as well. There's a center within that. So what is the center? Of the Ras Panchajai, who can say? Rasa Lila is the whole. All, all the chapters are about the Rasa Lila. When, um, when Krishna tells the gopis that he can't That's right. Hmm? That's correct. When Krishna he meets, he tells him to go home. Hmm? From the point of view of Dharma and Gyan and. And they refuse. They're not covered by karma, by gyan. The bhakti is unalloyed. The dance commences. Krishna disappears. The chapters, they follow him. They catch up, realize he's with Radha. He disappears from her. And then they go to the bank of the Jamuna and do kirtan. And sheepishly, sheepishly he reappears, um, having observed their love and separation and being overwhelmed by it. And there he, this is where Krishna bows down to the love of the gopis and Radha and says, I cannot reciprocate in kind for the measure of your love. You have exhausted my capacity to reciprocate as I say that I do. Therefore, I openly confess my indebtedness to you. And you, 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 to your sadhuness, your sadviness, <laughs> your your saintliness, such is the nature of your love. So the only way that I can think to possibly repay you is that once in a day of Brahma, I'll have to become a sadhu hmm? and canvas, make devotees of you. Hmm? This is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, and the zenith, the high point of the of the, of the Bhagavatam, in the center of the center of the center, we find Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is the genesis of Gaura Lila, which is now an, an extension of Krishna Lila, right? It's not another Lila because it's based on Prema Madhurya, one of the quali- a quality that only Krishna possesses. No other avatar possesses it. So, um, Shringa is not interested in Radha Bhav, you know. Vamana is not interested in Mahabhav. Kurma is not interested in Mahabhav. So who is this so-called avatar who is interested? This is, has to be Krishna himself. That's why Rupa Goswami said, Namo Mahabhav Krishna Prema Pradayate, Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namani. 
Rhoda Trishenama, you are Krishna himself, because only you can be giving Krishna prema. Hmm? And so so readily, so so widely, without without restriction, hmm? without discrimination, everywhere. Hmm? So point being what? That Gaur Leela is the extension of Krishna Leela. It, it's like I've said before, it's like a reverse jacket where the cuffs are gold the jacket is black, and you turn it around inside out, and now the cuffs are black, and the jacket is gold, right? So it, it, everything's kind of turned around. you got to look carefully at it to see, just understand it, but that's what the, his associates did, right? They sorted it out and realized this Chaitanya Mahaprabhu must be Krishna, but if he's Krishna, where are his associates? And then they realized, we are his associates. Where are we? We're in another leela. Hmm? Sadaka Siddhabhumi. Hmm? Sadhana Siddhabhumi. A land, Bhumi, where the where Siddhas are now playing in the drama of, of being sadhakas hmm? and teaching the way and so forth. So point being what? Chaitanya Bhagavat is the Srimad Bhagavatam. It is the scripture. And therefore, we've identified its author with whom? Vyasa Roy himself, right? Hmm? Shri Krishna, Shri Shri Vrindavan Dastakur Mahashai Jai. So let me continue for a minute. Chaitanya Charitamrita also. For, for us Gaudiyas, these these are Shastra. They're not going to be Shastra for people outside of Gaudiya Vaishnava. They should, they should be. <laughs> but they're not going to be. If they may say, we accept Srimad Bhagavatam. Okay, 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 you're pushing on it. We accept Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, you know, it was it's one of the Puranas. You guys want to make a big thing out of it. Make it the center and so of all the Puranas. You know, I don't know about that. And we'll say, well, let's look at it. Let's look at it from a literary point of view. Compare it. Let's compare the, liter- the language of it hmm, to the Kurma Purana, to the uh, to the the, the, the Purana, to the Shiva Purana, and so forth. This Purana and that Purana. Bring any Mahapurana, any Upa Purana, any anyone you want. Let's compare it from a linguistic point of view in terms of sophistication and what, what, what's the nature of the language hmm, there hmm? it's kavya hmm? I said the center is the tenth canto it's poetry hmm? these other pranas are not like this they're not written like this with laden with hidden meaning and so forth the richness of its of theology I mean it's so rich because it's all about Krishna Here's one of the ways it's rich. All the avatars are inside Krishna. All the Puranas about this, this avatar, that Purana, they're all found there. Right? One to one, one extent or another. Avatar Tattva is one of the nine sheltered subjects of the ten subjects that make up Srimad Bhagavatam. The tenth being the shelter, the others being sheltered. Avatar Tattva is one of the sheltered principles. So, all the Puranas about one avatar or another, they have to come under the shelter of Srimad Bhagavatam. We can give a thousand arguments, and Jiva Goswami has given ten thousand arguments as to the, why the Bhagavatam is the hub around which the other scriptures should be, should be, should orbit and be understood in context. But anyway, if you're a little re- reticent to accept, but you accept anyway, okay, it's a Purana, we accept it as a Shastra. Hmm? But this Chaitanya Bhagavat, this Chaitanya Charitamri, that, that's Another thing. But then let's look what is Chaitanya Charitamrita. It, if you look carefully at it, it is the distilled essence of Srimad Bhagavatam. 
everything everything Kaviraj Goswami says is supported by some Bhagavad verse, primarily, maybe some other verse here or there, but primarily the Bhagavad verses, or verses of the Goswamis, which are supported by Bhagavad verses, that they composed, for example, in Bhagavad Bhagavatamrita or Bhaktivasamrita Sindhu. I remember when I first, I was one of the first devotees in the Western world to read the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Hmm? Because when it was being printed um, rapidly, you know, maybe you know the history of that, 17 volumes in two months, Prabhupada wanted and so forth. Well, my friend Ramaswar was, on, was in the book, you know, publishing arm, and I was in the book distributing arm. And so when the te- books came off the, uh, the press, the first dozen or so got this gold binding around the, the pages, and that was given to Prabhupada, and they gave it to the GBC. Hmm? And then he stole one and gave sent it to me every time it came out, wherever I was traveling. And then we would open and read it to the devotees. We would go out to send Kirtan, sit and read the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And when I was reading it, my experience, one of my immediate experiences was, everything's here. The essence of the Gita is in here. The essence of the Bhagavatam is in here. He's quoting a Bhagavatam in, in an essential way to give you an understanding of Bhagavatam you wouldn't have had otherwise. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is here. And this one, Ujjwal Nilmani, and so on and so forth. And such as, of course, this is the Chaitanya Charitamrita, the cream, so to speak, of the crop of the. So you may not accept it, but you should. Hmm? It's the and Chaitanya Bhagavat in a similar way. You should accept it, hmm? and we're ready to explain why. But at any rate, we certainly accept it as scripture. But we have different scriptures hmm, that focused on teaching, the teaching in different respects, hmm? and therefore, as I have explained, we have to look at the context of whatever's said. The context in which Mahaprabhu said that, obviously, is not one where he's teaching systematically to disciples. That came in the Madhyakanda where he said, everyone should stand a prescribed number of rounds, not giving a particular number, leaving that as a detail uh, to be determined by the Guru, which we see is what happened in the Sampradaya. Over the, not that 64 is bad, I mean, that's a good number to start with, you know, but um, so. We accept Chaitanya Bhagavad as a Shastra, but we all these Shastras have to be understood in context. Something might be said, in, some some statements are made, um, um, yeah, they're not all directives. Every statement that comes in the scripture is not a directive statement, it's, you should do this. Hmm? For example, when it says in the, in the Bhagavatam that um, even if you if you chant Hare Krishna even while sleeping or while eating, you, you'll be liberated. That's not a directive. Okay, therefore I I can just why well, don't I just take that? The Bhagavatam says it. It's right there in Scripture. It says if I chant in my sleep I'll be liberated. So good night. <laughs> it's it's early. Why should I get up? When we get up from Mangalarti, I'm sleeping. I chant. I'm, at least I'm trying. <laughs> That's not a directive. That's a statement that's glorifying the virtues, the power, the efficacy of the name that should inspire us to take it seriously and chant a prescribed number of rounds. Because even if in, if in, if in sleep I could benefit, what to speak if I actually take advantage of it? That's the kind of statement that's being made. So you have to determine what kind of statements 
they are, why they're being said, what's the context, and so forth. So we accept everything that's said in the scripture, but we don't we don't pick out what Hiranyakasipu said necessarily, and think here it's right here in the Bhagavatam, hmm? right? <laughs> so to understand Siddhanta, you have to have Sangati, you have to have context, hmm? context of the ch- in the chapter, context of the word, how the chapter fits in the book, context in terms of the book, in relation to other books. What's the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu? In relation to, um, you know, Brihad Bhagavatamrita, for example, Brihad Bhagavatamrita is a book of Samandagyan. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is a book of uh, uh, Abhidegyan, for example. So, these things have to be sorted out. You had a further question yeah, on this? Well, a couple of books. He was talking about the center of the center, and he brought it to Gorlila. Is that the yoga pit, or what? What is the yoga pit? Oh, the yoga pith is 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 a um, is a um, esoteric idea of like within the dam, hmm, a center from which uh, uh, the leelas um, unfold, hmm, right? So um, you can find, for example. In um, in the tantra, where we get our mantras from, and our and our most of our procedures are are drawn from there, um, um, like go to me a tantra and so forth. Um, a like a like a yantra, I want to say like a, like a like a what would you call it a diagram? yeah a diagram a geographical kind of trans sacred geography kind of. Uh, description. It's a it's a certain type of description of way of talking. Uh, it could be a sonic description through mantra or a a, a graphic description way of ter- depicting something that transcends um, um, the mind and the senses and so forth. So, so you you have a description here. Radha and Krishna in the center. It's a lotus. There are petals, eight petals. On the petals you've got the astasakis. In between the petals, you've got the manjaris and so forth. So this is, this is a visualization, so to speak. And so um, uh, sometimes devotees will like, like uh, with the aid of a mantra, hmm, corresponding with the yoga path, meditate on that and the, this uh, center, and then from there, the pastimes unfold, something like. So it's like the in Vrindavan anyway, geographically speaking. Radha Govinda Temple, that's a yoga pit hmm, of Vrindavan. That's where Radha Govinda was established by Rupa Goswami and so forth. Yoga pit is the is the is in Mayapur is the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So obviously all the pastimes expand from there, right? That's where where he uh, where, where he appeared. But then there are esoteric descriptions of this the yoga pit and Mahaprabhu Nityananda's there and these are the principal associates and and you know, there, so there are mantras to, for example, in Manjari Bhav to worship the different Manjaris and worship all the Astasakis, worship Radha and Krishna. So you go through this meditation, chanting their mantras, so on and so forth. It's a way of becoming absorbed, and uh, and through mantra, through a graphic, uh, and so forth, uh, one can become um, kind of start to enter into a still picture, if you will, of the Leela, and then it will take start to move. As a motion picture, something like that. Does that help? But that—that's different. I'm talking about the center of the scripture. What, 
what's at the center of the if you want to look the center of the of the Bhagavatam is this uh, Krishna bowing to the gopi's love that's what it's really all about right hmm? and then then there we find Chaitanya Mahaprabhu so all of a sudden we find ourselves in the genesis of of Gaurila. yes um, I, you said that the eleventh and the twelfth canto are the smiling face of Krishna. And the tenth canto is the smiling face. Eleventh canto is like the forehead. Intellect is a broad one. The intellect. Twelfth canto, I forget. I don't know, it's the crown or something. I forget. Metaphorically speaking. Oh. You said it reflects back on the ten canto. Yeah, the eleventh canto is. Is is um, more um, it's more intellectual, hmm? and it, it's reflecting back in the twelfth canto. Twelfth canto is kind of a summary and and a mahatmyam glorification of the Bhagavatam itself and, and so forth. Hmm? Yes. I just wanted to go back to um, this idea of the prescribed number of rounds and how the Bhagavatam is so said that it should be driven by taste, mm-hmm. So I was thinking, you brought up the verse from the Abedation they do yesterday about how sugar candy is the cure for jaundice and it's medicine to get free from jaundice. You have to take the sugar candy and it tastes bitter. So there's no taste in the sugar candy, but you have to take it. And the more that you take it, the faster the jaundice gets relieved. So would we think of that in terms of like japa being, like you often say japa is medicine and it will become our food. So if we're thinking the taste is going to drive, you know, it might, we might never get to any taste if we're not chanting very much. Uh-huh. Yeah, some taste, but 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 um, yeah, you should pick a prescribed number whether there's taste or not. Because like Bhaktivinoda said, ten, chant one. He said he didn't think get a taste first and then chant one, right? He said chant one until you get a taste, and then chant two. I mean, he may have said different things at other times as well, but we. You know, this is the oral tradition that's been passed down over over uh, more than 100 years now, so exactly what he said all the time, I really can't say, but I have heard that. Uh, um, but it doesn't mean to contradict what you're you're talking about, obviously, yes. The chanting, sadhana bhakti is, is, is kind of apprenticeship. Hmm? It's generously considered bhakti, hmm? even though it's the... A, there's absence of the emotive content, which is what bhakti is kind of all, all about, right? Mm-hmm. But there's the there's the kind of imitation of a good thing can be can be a good thing, right? Something like that. So it's yes, and it's like medicine. So medicine becomes the food at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've always understood this example of the sugar cane. The sugar cane or sugar candy, it has a taste. It is sweet. Yeah. It's just when you're diseased, you can you can relish it. You can taste it. Right. In the same way, the name, the nam, it is sweet. But in our disease condition, we can relish it. Yeah. But what she was saying was, I think you understood that, right? But what she was saying is, well, if if they were prescribed 
to chant one round, and when taste comes, chant two. When more taste comes, chant three. She said, "Well, what if what if you don't have a taste? Shouldn't you just chant anyway because it's because it is sweet and it will come out." Yeah, yeah. What else? Yes. He said that in Varkasampradaya they just emphasize bhakti upasana and what I'm saying is like if you were to take um, Sakibhav of the Sambhog variety in Madhuryarats so Sambhog means uh, to have to be a gopi who has a direct romantic relationship with Krishna hmm? for his pleasure only with his pleasure in mind there's another type of Madhuryas basically in which rather than desiring that one desires to serve such a gopi hmm? Rupa Goswami considers the latter preferable and there's different names by which that goes like Manjari Bhav has become a popular name for that um, given the example of the Manjari and and um, and how uh, when the plant is watered the Manjari is also nourished so something like that so um, or what is the other term another term Tadbhava Ichamai or um, it's another word I'm thinking of in the context of uh, Surit Rati what does he say? Rupa. Hmm? No, no. Surit Rati. Surit Rati means love of the friend. Hmm? Rupa Goswami talks about how devotees love one another and how that love is a sanchari bhav that augments their stai bhav for Krishna. In the context of explaining that, it said some devotees love Krishna, love the friend equally with Krishna. Some love Krishna more than the friend. Some love the friend more than Krishna. That's very special. And that's called, what is the name he gives that? Hmm? How can we forget it? Anyway, it's another name for Manjari Bhav. Hmm? Um, so, there are a number of names. But anyway, that is the preferable uh, uh, form of Madhuri according to Rupa Goswami. So, the Nimbarka um, Sampradaya, they're interested in the former, hmm? Saki Bhav. Right? Now, so if you could take a setting in which a Saki has a romantic moment with Krishna and isolate that from everything else eternally, that's, that's their idea. Doesn't sound attractive, does it? No. no. But that's their idea, something like that. So you could live in a, in a certain section and be un- and eternally in that moment. And so there's no Patsali going on and, uh, and, uh, and each moment, you have to understand each moment of the Leela, every Leela is full and complete and, and so on. And you're thinking, well, it's not like he's going to move and go here next and what, what, well, they're just in that moment <laughs> forever. Yeah, that's just how we would look at it. Yeah, they don't, they don't look at it like that, but. <laughs> Couldn't it be like that? 
they may look at it, who knows, they may, I'm not that well versed in the bark, they may look at it, that's the whole idea, the rest of it's not there, it's only in the Prakatlila. The birth, the Kumarlila, the Pagandalila, Ras dance, other gopis, so forth. So, yes? Yeah, going back to the Mahaprabhu's statement, you know, when the Lord says something, I mean, He can, I would assume He have unlimited meanings out of one statement. He can, you know, uh, different people can take different, uh, He can be speaking to unlimited people and get in many things. I mean, do you think He's also trying to encourage people just to chant or and to increase their chanting, you know, to chant more? Well, we had to look at the context. What He was really trying to do was say, Teach that real wealth is uh, is comes from bhakti and and in my school chanting and sankirtan nam kirtan is the main is the method to the madness is the main practice therefore your wealth will be determined by your by your your chanting rather than by your collecting money that's what he was teaching mm, sure um, because perhaps because that lack is mentioned. Some it has become something that this passed along and and so forth and we see here Haridas chanted three lakhs and so it may have become a standard that you know devotees aspired to to chant that much and so forth but um, you know it's it's very it's 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 very uh, um, uh, much a detail because the teaching is any of the angas of bhakti one can become perfect by. Of course, our main main practice is kirtan, but uh, there are different forms. But nam kirtan being the best. But um, um, you could sit with cartels and, and chant and not do any job. All right. Uh, uh, anyway, it's 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 a detail. But yeah, it's yeah, it's a good standard. Chant a lakh a day. Yeah. And what, what's the idea behind that? Let's think of it, go a little further. What's the idea behind that? Hmm? Okay. Haridas Thakur said to chant three lakhs. What's 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 the idea? Is it a number, or it's it's meant to say that he chanted all the all day long? Hmm? It took him like all day. Hmm? And when the prostitute tried to deter him, he said. Let me, after I finish my rounds, I will certainly fulfill your desire. Hmm? <laughs> I see you as a goddess. <laughs> and while he's chanting, he had money to chant. Deep into the night, she fell asleep. Hmm? And when she woke up, he was chanting for the next day. Hmm? So the idea was that he was, you know, chanting all day long, right? So, um, uh, Chant 64 rounds. It takes, you know, if it chant, it takes most devotees a couple hours to chant 16 rounds. So you can do that times four. Two times four is eight. That's like, you know, a day's work, right? Eight hours from nine to five, uh, chant Hare Krishna. That's what he's saying. From nine to five, anyone who chants nine to five, of course, <laughs> of course, then you have to say, well, when will I cook the lunch? <laughs> So to be absorbed, you know, it's 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 unfortunate. But I've heard some devotees say that because in our group, you know, uh, we, we we chant. If you really get get going, you can chant them really fast. 
I've heard people say, you can chant really fast, and you can chant like two lakhs in like in like three hour, four hours, you know. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? That's not what it's about. It's about, you know, <laughs> it's not about speed, right? And say, got it done in four hours. Hey, that's, I'm really advanced, you know. I chanted two lakhs in four hours. Well, what'd you do for the other, you know, 20 hours of the day? And the idea of, you know, it's supposed to be taking out, you're, you're taking in your whole day. So the principle to absorb yourself entirely the whole day in devotional service, it could be chanting, it could be hearing, it could be whatever, but there should be a prescribed number of rounds, right? There we go. Yeah, but I think maybe the idea in general, this may come from that statement of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, one lakh, hmm? and became a popular idea as a standard. And how do we uh, see that in comparison with a, a vow like Shunabhakti Sadanta Saraswati to what was it, a billion? Yeah, a something like that. Well, he, he took a vow to chant a certain amount until it was done. And he didn't do anything else. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know the whole history of those days, but he was, that was pretty much his bhajan life, and out of that he got inspiration to get up from his bhajan and do his, his kirtan all over the world. Right. He didn't. He didn't do kirtan to, to do bhajan. He did bhajan, and so, like we said, we do kirtan to get smarnam, to be able to do smarnam, and then um, within deep within smarnam, kirtan comes out again. Mm-hmm. So even in the even in the leela, we find kirtan. Right. We don't find the gopis or the gopas doing smarnam, but they're doing kirtan even though your entire existence is a, a samadhi. <laughs> they are a meditation, right? They're, within that meditation, there's kirtan also, before and after. Yes? If I'm remembering correctly, Lord Chaitanya went to um, Haridas Thakur at one point yes. and asked him, how are you doing? And he said, I'm not very good. And he said, why? And he said, because I can't finish my prescribed number. And so he said, oh, you're elder now. You don't need to... So is there... <laughs> That's right. And you know what he did? He cooked for Haridas. <laughs> yeah, more or less. I mean, yeah. He, what he did was, he said, no, you're too old to chant. No, you don't have to worry about that. So, and then Haridas made a request. And if I pass through the world, that I'll pass before you, holding on to your lotus feet. Mahaprabhu gave him his foot, put on his heart, and he passed away. And Mahaprabhu carried his body, <coughs> danced with it on the beach, Jagannath Puri, mm-hmm. personally dug the samadhi in order to feast be cooked. So he cooked for lunch for Haridas and spread it. Whoever worships this place would become pure. But he was showing. What Mahaprabhu was showing is that Nam, Bhakti, and Harinam in particular, has the power to destroy Parabdha Karma, which Gyan doesn't have the power to do. Hmm? Gyan, he can become a Jivan Mukta, but his Parabdha Karma still remains. He has to wait for that to expire. But by Bhakti, you can actually uh, re- remove the Parabdha Karma. That's incredible, incredible. And the Bhagavatam, in making this teaching, gives an example of Harinam versus glorifying the name. 
So Mahaprabhu was showing this. He took the parabda karma of Haridas, his body, a Muslim body, and considered it sacred. So sacred that he himself carried it in his arms. He himself dug the samadhi and placed him there and taught everybody to worship that place. So it means his body became was, was now worshipable. It wasn't just a manifestation of Muslim parabda karma. Very beautiful. Shiharidas Thakur Ki Jai. Yes? It might just be a detail, but I mean, a lot of these might pastimes be. of Haridas Thakur were prior to his meeting with Lord Chaitanya, with the white said the prostitute, and his, you know, also with Durga, and being beaten in 20 marketplaces. He was chaining three lakhs rounds, you know, even before he came to uh, Navadweep, you know, to uh, Adwita's house. That's my understanding. Oh, he was initiated by Adwita. He was initiated by Adwita, okay. Yeah, yeah, he was initiated oh, by Adwita. He was, he was initiated by Advaita, and Advaita called Mahaprabhu here by Vaidhi Bhakti of Archan, of Shalagram, with Tulsi and Gangajal, water from the Ganga. And simultaneously, Haridas was praying for his appearance in his Nam Bhajan. Hmm? So from a Rag perspective, Haridas was calling him. And they were, they were a team, guru and disciple, Haridas and Advaita. So when Mahaprabhu appeared, they celebrated together and so on and so forth. But yeah, he was a, he was a disciple of, we do to call him Brahmaridas. Hmm. Okay, we stop there. Chishi Gauradamadava ki jaya. Harinam Prabhu ki jaya. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jaya. Gaur Pramanandi. Thank you.